Live from the rooftop of the Herman London Real Estate Group in beautiful downtown Maplewood, it's the St. Louis Realtor Podcast with your host, Adam Cruz. All right, well, welcome to the Herman London Real Estate Group Podcast. This is podcast number four, I believe. This week's agenda, we're going to go through here real quick. We're going to have some updates. I'm going to ask John Charlton, everyone's favorite lender, a few questions. We're going to have one of our agents, Harley, from Team Coleman in here, and he's going to tell us about his deal of the week. I'm going to go through some of the questions that people have asked, and then finally we'll have a conclusion. Maybe we'll make it a quick week. It's the holidays here. So first of all, I'm going to go through some updates. Um, We have our business planning retreat coming up. It's on November 21st. It's an all-day company event. Most of our realtors are going to make it. And I wanted to say, even if you are not a realtor, and now is really a good time for you to start planning out your business for the next year. You know, take time to reflect, think about what you want to do, where do you want your business to be, what do you want your finances to be, how do you want your life to look, all that kind of stuff. This is a good time of the year to be doing that. And uh, also for our business planning retreat, I've been working on some making some career guides for the different realtor paths. You know, we have a lot of realtors here at our company, and almost every single one of them has their own path. And based on how they want their life to look and feel and how much money they want to make and that type of thing. So I'm breaking down a few of those paths and giving some people some ideas on where they can go and maybe their path to growth or their path to become a broker or their path to own a Herman London office. Um, I'm also going to unveil this case study I've been working on for quite some time, actually. It's a case study of a top producer, top producing agent, sells more than $10 million of real estate in a year every single year and I'm breaking down a case study of that person and I'm going to share it with our agents too. So I'm excited for that, for our business planning retreat. I know Trey has been preparing a lot of stuff too. And so if you're a realtor and you're considering joining Herman London, now's the time. So you can make it in time for our retreat, which is in 10 days. The only other update I really wanted to go over is that there's still low inventory. Uh, We have a Facebook group with a there's something like 500 realtors on there and we're always posting on their new listings coming soons and uh, buyer needs, you know, and every single day these agents are posting on here buyer need three bed, two bath Webster, a buyer need one bed, this, that, you know, Oakville, whatever. These realtors have these buyers out there that are looking for properties. They can't find them. They say, we've seen everything on the MLS. We don't like it. We're looking for something else. And so there, there is low inventory. There are buyers out there. This, for me and for some of our agents, is one of the busiest times of the year. So if you're considering selling your home, I encourage you not to just wait till spring like everybody else and be one of the 25 other homes in your subdivision that are putting their home on the market. Get it on the market now. You'll have less just random people tromping through your house, and you'll have more serious buyers. So give us a call, 314-802-0797. Let's get your home listed. We can have it sold by the holidays. All right. Well, uh, we just had Harley in here. So next up, I'm going to go through the questions that we that people have asked. And uh, I'm just going to kind of go through the question and try to give the answer. So we had Nancy. A shout out to Nancy. She asked me about two homes that are for sale on Geyer. She lives on Geyer. And there's one home being built at 1306 North Geyer. And uh, believe it or not, it's listed already. And it's listed for 399 and it's about 2,400 square feet or so. And there's another rehab that they've been watching. I know you've been watching a few homes up the street from you. And it's sold for $132,000 $132, prior to the rehab. 
Uh, that might seem like a low number for that area, but I know they've put so much work into that house. I think they might have added another story, added a garage, finished the foundation, or refinished the foundation, all that kind of stuff. So um, how much is the house on Geyer? How about that? I gave you two for the price of one. Uh, what is the cash flow board game and how does it relate to real estate? Some people, I guess, have seen my posts on Facebook. I'm always talking about how we're playing this cash flow board game and why do we play it and what the heck does it have to do with anything in the first place? Basically, the cash flow board game was a board game that was made by Robert Kiyosaki, who, if you don't know who that is, you've probably read his book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, or at least you've heard of it. And Robert Kiyosaki made this board game to basically get across the point of how different people see money, deal with money, treat money, and how they get out of what they he calls the rat race. And basically, if you can get out of the rat race, you can win this board game. And the whole point is some people start out as a doctor. Some people start out as a janitor. Some people start out as a nurse in the game. But you have you literally have spreadsheets, and you need to bring a calculator and a pencil to play this game. And so... You might, you might find it interesting that the doctor, although they might have tons of income, basically often, or at least in this game, they also have tons of expenses. The best example I can give is if the doctor has a car, they probably buy a Mercedes and their payment's 500 a month instead of buying a Camry or whatever and having a $200 a month payment. If they're buying their, you know, their son a shirt, they're probably buying a polo shirt instead of buying a shirt from Walmart or whatever, so... The, even the doctor has to keep working and working and working and working and working and working and living for, you know, living for that next paycheck. So the point of the game and how it relates to real estate is it really points out and shows that if you buy real estate, you can make passive income. And the more passive income you can make, if you if are essentially if you can make enough passive income to cover your expenses, then you are out of the rat race. And you can live on your passive income. You can keep working if you want to, but you don't have to. You can go on vacation if you want to. You can go visit your family or do whatever you want to do. You're no longer tied to having this job to make your next paycheck, to make your next payment or whatever. So the game gives you opportunities to you know, buy a three-bed, two-bath house that's going to cash flow $400 a month or whatever type of thing. And so you can try to buy that real estate or not. And it's interesting to watch different people play it and the decisions that they make and kind of makes for some interesting conversations on how to invest and how to, you know, how different people like to invest and how they like to make money. And for me, my, my big goal is having enough passive income to get out of the rat race so I can sit here and do these podcasts for fun and, uh, you know, have, have my rental investment real estate making enough money to pay all my bills. So next question uh, why doesn't reducing the sales price by $5,000 help the buyer like it helps the seller? Uh, I need granite. I think the point of this question is, and I'll sort of point out that I guess a lot of times when we're working with a buyer, we're looking at a house and they say, oh, we want to update this house. You know, For example, we need granite or we want new counters or we want to add a, you know, ceiling fans to every bedroom or we need to redo the deck or whatever. And let's say the home's listed at, $350,000, why doesn't reducing the price to 345000 hey, now that's $5,000 less, we can use that money for the granite. Well, no, you can't because you're not, you're not getting that $5,000. The lender is not going to say, hey, here's a loan for the three fifty, and you just get to keep the 5000 
your new loan will be for the 345. So basically by reducing the sales price by $5,000, you're effectively just lowering your monthly burden by, you know, let's just say $33 or so, something along those lines. Talk to your lender, call John Charlton, you know, for the exact numbers. But basically when the buyer is buying your property, reducing the price helps lower their monthly payment, but does not put any money into their pocket to do any updates they need to make. If it's a small amount of money they need for updates, we can talk about getting closing costs covered. Or if it's a large amount of updates, then, you know, listen to our podcast that we talked about getting the FHA 203K loan where you can get ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 to, you know, put in all new granite, update the bathrooms, put on a new deck, all that kind of thing. But reducing the sales price by $5,000 or raising the sales price by $5,000, I guess I could say, does help the seller directly because that is money that will directly go into their pocket at the closing. Let's say they owe $300,000 on the house. If it sells for three oh five, they're literally going to get a check for $5,000. All other kind of variables and costs or whatever, you know, being ignored in this, in this situation. But basically, or assuming they have no loan or whatever, but if we raise the sales price, that money does grow directly to the seller. And, and in a lot of cases, it's interesting to me that when we're doing these real estate deals, the buyer will say, like, oh, it's only $1,000. Oh, it's only $2,000. And it's funny to to see the same person who, you know, doesn't upsize their fries at McDonald's or whatever because it's an extra dollar will kind of put this, oh, it's only $1,000 perspective on the things. And when you're buying a house, I guess it is only $1,000. Or in effect, it is only a couple dollars a month on your monthly payment. When you're selling a house, that only $1,000 is literally $1,000. You can get $1,000 more when you sell your house that you can use to put as a down payment on your next property or buy granite on your next house or upsize your fries for the next year and a half or whatever you want to do. So that's why reducing the sales price um, doesn't necessarily directly help the buyer to rehab the property, but it does help the seller. Why is December not a bad month for real estate? I, I talk a lot about to people that say they want to put their home on the market and they're going to wait till the spring or the buyers who want, might want to wait till the spring to buy. Basically there's a few things that are happening at the end of the year. A, the buyers that are out there are serious, serious buyers. Um, the, if they're going to be, I talked about this a little bit already, but if you're going to be looking at properties a couple of days before the holidays, trudging through the snow, like I've literally shown homes where every single house we had to get out of the car, step into a foot of, you know, virgin snow and get it all in our shoes to get into the house where these are serious buyers. You know, anyone would rather be at home drinking hot chocolate, you know, but instead we're out looking for homes. This is a serious buyer. Another thing, if you're going to buy a home, that's a builder's home or maybe an inventory home of a builder, they want to sell their homes by the end of the year. Why? Just because they like to get it off their books. Essentially in general, there's less competition in the winter time. There's, le there's in theory, less homes that are for sale. And for certain, there's less buyers that are out there looking at real estate. But the buyers that are out there are serious. In the summertime, you get a lot of the people who just kind of like, I just like looking at houses. I just think it's really neat. You know, I, I see a lot of those people who are just kind of snoop uh, nosy or whatever. They want to see what's going on. Okay, uh, seller, this is a seller's question. And if you have your home listed, you might be wondering, how can I reset my CDOM or my DOM? Or in this case, you might be wondering, what the heck is CDOM or DOM? Basically, 
If you're searching for real estate on certain websites, you might see something that says DOM or CDOM, and that stands for days on market or concurrent days on market. And basically, if you have your home listed, at least in St. Louis, on Maris, if you have your home listed with a realtor and you want the days on market to go back down, let's say they're getting up there, they're over 150 days or so, you actually have to take your home off the market for 60 days. So, you know, if you take it off 61 days from now, the listing literally has to be in canceled status, um, then it will restart at, at one. Now, if you have your listing with one realtor, let's say you're at 100 days on market at this point, you take it off the market for two weeks and you list it with me and I put your prop, your house on the market right then, the days on the CDOM are going to start at 114 days because that's concurrent days on the market without being off the market for 60 days. So long answer to a question we actually get a lot. It's one of the most visited pages on our website is people Googling for how they can reset their CDOM or what is CDOM. So that's what it is, days on market. How long has this home been available for sale? And basically why does it matter is because once a home has been listed for 100 days, 150 days, or whatever, a lot of buyers are wondering what's wrong with this house. And that's one of the problems that we see with people who list their home for too high of a price. You get a lot of buyers in there. A lot of buyers are coming through. They're not buying it. Next thing you know, our days on market's at 150. Someone comes through and they're interested, but they're skeptical. They're wondering what's wrong with this house. Why has no one bought it? What should I be concerned of? And that, that might scare them away. All right, up next, we're going to bring in Harley Coleman with the team. Coleman recently joined the Herman London Real Estate Group, our South County experts. We're going to bring Harley in to talk about the deal of the week, and I'm going to hit him with a couple questions as well. Here comes Harley. All right, guys, up next, we've got Harley Coleman with Team Coleman here at the Herman London Real Estate Group, and Harley is going to tell us about the deal of the week. Harley, you have a listing, right? Yes, yes. And it's a hot deal? Hot deal. Tell back, me all about it. Back on the market. It fell through due to buyer financing. Buyer uh, couldn't get a loan. Buyer couldn't get a loan. Yeah. Womp womp. Yeah. So. Uh, well, they couldn't get a loan or they didn't have to sell their house and they couldn't get their house sold or well, something? Well, yeah. But that was part of the contingency. They, they had a contingency on their home. They had to sell theirs before they could buy ours. Okay. And, but I just want to make sure there's nothing weird about this house that makes it non-loan. Oh, God, no. No. Ours passed uh, county inspection already, gas inspection. Let's it's already it. passed its inspections. Yeah. Where so, is it? Uh, uh, Oakville area, um, right off Christopher uh, Christopher Drive. It's off Chris. The house is actually on one three six Christopher Place. Okay, uh, how uh, much is it uh, listed right now at three thirty nine nine? That's one of the things I love about real estate deals is a lot of people think of deals or investors or whatever buying these fifteen thousand dollars houses. They don't have to. This isn't necessarily an investor house, is it, or is oh, it? Oh, God, no. No, it's, it's not. moving ready. It's only 12 years old. It's a beautiful home. Why do you say, oh, God, no? You don't think an investor could buy it and rent it out and make money? <laughs> uh, typically, that's that. not their, what they're looking for, yeah. yeah. Okay, they're, you're they're just look- not picturing an investor wanting to do that. No, not at all. Usually, they want something a little more uh, like a foreclosure of some sort or a bank-owned uh uh, HUD home or something like that, then they usually... Harley, are you telling me I have to buy a foreclosure to get a good deal on a piece of real estate? Gosh, no. No. This is great. Okay, so how is this house's condition? Is it good? Beautiful condition. Move-in yeah. ready? Move-in ready. She meticulously kept kept up on the home. Um, it's it's in great shape. Okay, so it's 339 How large is it? 
3,100 square feet uh, with, a, and that doesn't include the finished basement. Oh, finished basement. Yeah. Okay. Can I put a pool table down there? Yes. Uh huh. It has a big ping pong table right now, but yeah, a pool table would work. We'll have to put that in the trash. Would you move that if I buy this house? <laughs> would you be willing to get the ping pong table out of there for me? I I would throw it on my back and move it out there personally. <laughs> okay. How many bedrooms and bathrooms? Uh, six bed, uh, three and a half bath. All right, talking to you a little bit ahead of time before we had our podcast here in our green room, we you told me you had a few listings coming. Can you give me an update on any hot listings coming yeah, we need to know about? I've got about five potential upcoming, well, four I know for pretty much for sure. The other one we have a listing appointment next week for. Okay. Um, so uh, I don't need addresses, I guess. Just give me the gist, where they are, price ranges, that kind sure, of thing. Sure, yeah. I got one uh, three-bed, uh, one-and-a-half bath, and uh, 1,400 square feet, two-story. Uh, the Cherokee, the new Cherokee district that's kind of up and coming. Yeah, absolutely. Um, kind of hipsters might be yeah. over there. Uh, that's going to be going on the market probably within the next month or two, um, right around the 100000 mark. Okay. Um, we also have a... Um, a Two bed, two bath in the next month or two as well um, in the uh, St. Louis Hills Carondelet Park area. Popular area these days. Yes, and that one will probably be listed probably for about 130 to 140-ish. Have you been there yet? Yes. Is it updated or does it need work? No, no, it's pretty well updated, yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, what else do you have coming up? Uh, we have a three-bedroom, uh, one-and-a-half bath. Another one and a half bath, two story in South County. Um, I sold to them last year. Uh, their family has grown considerably, uh, so their situational has just changed, and they need a bigger house. Okay, and so uh, we're going to be selling that. Uh, they have to get it ready. They, they're, they're they put an addition on. Oh wow! And okay. they're in the middle of that right now. So as soon as they get that done. Um, we're going to put it on the market. So. Well, I like that. You are our South County expert, so I'm glad to see you coming at me with some South County. Yeah. A little bit of South City, but yeah, South a little County South generally city, properties. South County. Um, okay, what else you got? You know, um, we have, uh, well, you can't, I don't know if you consider Arnold South County or not. I sure do. I kind of do. It's right there on the, on the, on the border there. Uh, we have a three-bedroom. Now, this is the listing appointment we have next week. Uh, it's a three-bed, two-bath, um, 1,500 square feet. Um, I don't know all the specifics yet, but it might, my guess is we'd be priced around 150 to 160 So we should like wait that. before we send our, our full price, all cash, as is, offers directly to you? Exactly. Wait yeah. a little bit. Okay. <laughs> we'll wait on that. And we have one more. It's actually way out of our area, um, but I sold to this investor – uh, the earlier this year, and she's flipping this house. Well, she got it really, really, really cheap. And uh, originally, she was going to fix it up and rent it out. Now she's just going to flip it and sell it and try to break even. On so you it. helped her get a good buy on it. Yeah, I did. And then uh, it's a two bedroom, one bath, eleven hundred square feet f- for a two bedroom is pretty good. Um, but it'll it's more than, it'd be a good rental property. It's up in North County. Um, why would she, if she bought it so well? Why does she need to barely break even on it? They, I would say she put too many updates, over updated it for the area. What things are selling for? Okay, yeah, okay. So, any other properties you want to tell us about coming up? That, as far as listings, that's all I have. Um, I got a lot of buyers coming up here, about a half a dozen buyers. So uh, if you have a so home to sell, people are buying. Call you. 
Definitely. Where are your buyers? All over? Just South County? Where are they? <clears throat> Our buyers are in South County, Jefferson County, um, maybe one in St. Charles. I got. I mean, I do have buyers from you know all over from the all place. Over. Okay. Yeah, because we have a pretty big uh, database of people. So. Okay, yeah. so what what have you and your wife, Jessica, let's give a shout-out to Jessica here. I'm sure she'll be listening. Hi, honey. What have you guys <laughs> been working on? I see you coming in and out of the office. <clears throat> we just mailed all those postcards out. You've got all these listings coming up. Yeah. What else have you guys been doing? Well, um, a lot of prospecting with former clients, uh, people that we've worked with before. Keeping in touch uh, with your past clients. Touch. Okay. Yeah, like if there's been like a one-year anniversary on a sale, we give them a call and wish them a happy anniversary and ask okay. them how things are going. And um, we always tell them to you know keep us in mind if they know anybody. And um, we're also doing a lot more networking now, going to networking events and um, uh, spending a lot of time, you know, just shaking hands. Well, you know how I'm going to want you to answer this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What? Do you see like the market slowing down because it's the holidays or whatever because it's the winter time? Last winter, last I sold the most amount of houses in December and January. Things buyers do not slow down. Okay. We have the more serious buyers during that time. Okay. Um because most people looking for real estate during those months are serious and they need to move. You know that's that's what I wanted you to say, because that's kind of my exact situation. I've always had December be some of my biggest months. and I sold, so, I sold 10 homes in December and January last year okay. combined, wow. you know, like four in December and, and six in January. So I guess if you're out looking at real estate the day before Thanksgiving or if you're out looking at real estate on a couple of days before Christmas Eve or whatever, mm-hmm. you're probably pretty serious, right? I would say so, definitely. And I hope so if I'm going to take my time the day uh-huh. before Thanksgiving to be out <laughs> showing your properties instead of making my green beans for Aunt Mary's Thanksgiving party. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so one, one last question. We had Trey on for our to our podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I'm curious from you. I know I, I didn't tell you I was going to ask you this, but what has Trey done for your business, Team Coleman? Trey How have you been affected by Trey? has given us a, a – a new vision, a new outlook on the way we should be handling people, treating people, and, um, you know, just getting out there. And I don't know. It's just not about not about sales. It's about people, you know, and, and being. Uh, it used to be for you more about sales, sales more about trans- it's kind of transactional. through the door. Transactional, get them under contract, pass them off to the transaction coordinator. We Next. It would be like next, you know. And so he's um, taught you to make it more about relationships, really building relationships, and really just treating people a lot better than than you know, you know. Our last broker, you know, I don't want to bring this up too much, but you know, she was just like a, you know, more transactional, get, transactional. Get them through and then pass them on, and let's go to the next one. You know, I guess you can judge. If you get invited to more holiday parties this year than last year, let's say that you're doing something right. Mm-hmm. Now, if you go to those parties, then you're really doing something right. Well, we got invited to three Halloween parties. <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. That's good. That's from just being out there talking to people. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Anything yeah. else you want to tell us about, Harley? We're the best. You're the best. Team Coleman. Team Coleman. Go yes. get them. Yeah. South County experts. <laughs> 
And you got a you're sponsoring a poker tournament tonight, right? You got to get to that. Yeah, yeah, I got yeah, I got to go here in a few moments. So, all right. Uh, well, thanks for coming in, Harley, and we will see you on the flip side. Thank you. Take care. Bye bye. Next up, we're going to bring in John Charlton, our favorite lender, and I've got a couple questions I want to ask him. Put him on the spot a little bit, see if I can make him squirm. And so, let me go get John and bring him on in. All right, everybody, up next we've got Mr. John Charlton, everyone's favorite local lender from Midwest Mortgage Capital. Came all the way from the office right next door to mine. Hi, Long John. Walk. Long walk. Long walk. You could hear me call your name, couldn't you? I could. All right, Mr. John, this week I've got a couple questions for you. Q&A, I'm hoping to make it. you squirm. Okay, squirm. Let's see. Let's I'm see guessing I won't because you always have the answers to everything, but tell me this. What is the difference between you and a credit union and... If you really want to get in depth, what is the difference between you and a bank and a credit union? Well, let's start with what's the difference between you and a credit union. So let's just maybe within that give you a definition of what we are. So we're what's called a correspondent bank. Um, What that basically means is that we underwrite fund loans that we ultimately are going to be selling the servicing rights to nationwide providers like Chase, Wells Fargo, U.S. Bank, etc., Um, The key differentiation between a correspondent bank and a regular bank is that typically banks will pay money for somebody else to do the underwriting, processing, all the hard work, and then all they have to do is service the loan, and that's really easy for them. Okay. So that is usually a way in which we will price better because we don't have the overhead that the bank has with the loan. Same thing goes with the credit union. Credit unions typically are going to price a little worse than us as far as interest rate goes um, because they are funding, doing all the loan, all the work themselves. They're not just buying the servicing rights of the loan. What about the credit unions that say they're not for profit? What does that even mean? Um, Well, it means that they're not, uh, well, I could say not for profit, but that would be kind oh, of. Oh, that answer. clears it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no problem. That. It's the soup du jour, which is the soup of the day. Do they no, not? Um, make, are they not making any money? Are they? What is their? What are they doing? What that means is that they're they don't have shareholders that are earning money from the business. So the usually a non for profit credit union is going to be a credit union that's owned by all the people who put money into the depository. They're not looking to pull a profit for investors. Um, on the loans and the work that they do, um, that's what it would be to be non-for-profit. Just enough to pay interest on those like checking accounts? Just enough to basically make it viable, keep the w- lights on. I mean, usually they are very profitable, you know, in the sense that, you know, I mean, ultimately they have lots of reserves um, that they aren't paying out to shareholders they're holding on to. So. Do you guys ever sell your loans to credit unions? We don't. I mean, there are some exceptions, like, certain loan products that we're unable to, to, to do. Um, this is going to be stuff that's, you know, short term balloons, land loans, things like that, that a credit union may be able to do that we wouldn't. Uh, so we would partner with a credit union, but we wouldn't necessarily do the loan. And then um, does the credit union always service their own loans or are they selling to chase too or whatever sometimes? Um, yeah. So good question. Um, some credit unions do a hundred percent, um, shelf loans, meaning that they don't sell the paper. They don't sell the debt on the loan at all. Okay. Most credit unions nowadays are hybrids. So they'll do some Fannie Freddie. Um, they'll never do FHA paper, no government loans, USDA, but they will do loans that they could sell if they needed to, to make a, you know, to make the, the credit union solvent, you know, if they needed to. 
You so. said shelf loan. Is that the same as portfolio loan? Absolutely. Yeah. Shelving the loan just means that you're actually giving somebody money to do something. You're holding that debt. That's on your bottom line. Um, if you sell the the debt, then obviously somebody else is paying the the uh, the amount of the debt so that they're solvent. Okay, so if I'm working with a buyer, they're approved, approved from a credit union. I shouldn't think to myself, "Oh, credit union, you know, they got the best deal in town." No, don't even bother having them call John. No, no. I mean, a credit union is is a great place to go if you can't get a correspondent loan. If you can't get a loan. Th- Fannie, Freddie, if it's a one-off, if it's a self-employed borrower, you know, relationships are what's good about credit unions. They might have a long relationship with somebody that's going to maybe play a role in their ability to get financing. But in general, if it's a person that could qualify for a loan with a correspondent bank, they're going to get a better deal, lower interest rate, lower closing costs, and they're going to get from a credit union. Okay. So one of my clients that I'm working with now is was pre-approved with the credit union. And I just had him talk to you today. Mm-hmm. Do you have any information about like, definitely don't want to give in, client information out at all, but I'm wondering, do you know what the rate they were getting there and how that compares to the rate you're getting or their fees or any of that kind of stuff? I don't know all the details of the quote that they got from the credit union, but in general, I know what I'm, I'm matched up against when I have somebody who's working with a credit union. Uh-huh. Like I said, the main thing with a credit union is that they're very stringent. They have a loan that they offer. They're going to offer to all their members, you know, based on some criterion, credit score, debt to income, what what have you. But they're not going to be able to, um, you know, to to vary from whatever their pricing is. They, they, they are what they are. You know what I mean? Whereas we have a lot more flexibility with the loan, the type of loan, the terms of the loan and what have you. Um, you know, they're going to be pretty much straight up. So in the case of the person you're talking about, you know, my hunch is their interest rate's going to be higher with the credit union. And I think that that was absolutely the case. Higher interest rate, lower fees up front or what? Typically, no, actually, typically the fees are going to be about the same. So, so why, why would somebody ever use a credit union? Because there are loans that can't be done Fannie or Freddie. There are okay. a lot of them. So for you for know. someone who needs a loan that's basically going to become a portfolio loan, maybe that's a good place to turn to. Absolutely. And the best way to know that is if you apply for a loan with me and I can't do it, well, I know people that can as far as credit unions and what have you um, that I could refer you to. I mean, if I call you and I need a loan and you can't do it, you're not going to just tell me that I can't get a loan. You're going to say, no, hey. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do whatever I can to make sure that, that you exhaust every possibility if it's something you want to do. What a sweet guy. Okay. Well, next question, Mr. John. I pulled up a website and I saw a huge you know, flashing ad. I think it might have had a monkey moving back and forth on it. And it said I can get a, basically a free set of steak knives and a low, low interest rate. And... Uh, it was like a basically a web only company, you know, and, and I'm just kind of curious, how are these people, are they tricking me or how are they, how are they going to trick me and not basically, I'm assuming that they're trying to trick me and it's not going to end up being this great, great deal that they're talking about. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm on the internet as well, you know, every day and I see banner ads all the time offering interest rates in the twos, et cetera. Um, you know, I mean, I guess a great example of that is there's a, a an, <laughs> it's not January. <laughs> what are they thinking? That's right. There's a uh, there's a ad on on uh, the radio right now where somebody's um, you know basically 
advertising a 2.875% interest rate, but then you wait to the very end and they say, you know, that it's a 15 year FHA loan, you know, with, you know, an APR up over 4%. So what are they really selling you? They're selling you the idea of a really low interest rate when in all reality, they're, they're gouging you in cost. So, so you have to bring a bunch of money up front? Yeah, or you have to finance that that cost that they're building into the loan. So, I mean, that's they want to trigger your response by saying something in the twos, right? 2.875, but when you get to the APR and it's 4.04, well, really, it's not that great a deal. Okay, well, that, that kind of makes me want to ask you this, and I've always sort of told buyers, hey, if we want to compare apples to apples, you know, a buyer's always like, well, I'm talking to this guy and this guy and this guy, right? I'm talking to this bank and this lady and this whatever. And I was always thinking, hey, you want to compare apples to apples? Get a good faith estimate from each one of them. Good faith estimate is is a you know a great tool for that. Um, I would say that there's an even better tool within the RESPA package. It's called the TIL or the Truth in Lending document. It's going to make it, it dumb it down the good faith because there's lots of lines in the good faith. There's lots of costs there. What a TIL says is it says what your APR is. The APR is the, and the, is the AP, apple to compare? That's correct because if you have two banks that are offering you a 3.5% and one of them's their APR is a 4% and one of them's a 4.5. The bank that's giving you less closing costs is the 4% APR. So APR is how you, uh, is a way that the government has decided is a good way, simple way for people to compare quotes. And that's all it really is meant to be. It's not the effective interest of the loan you're doing. It's just expressing the cost of the loan as a percentage so that you can compare easily. Okay. Now, the only thing that I, I guess I don't like about any of these solutions is that, let's say I'm talking to you and you quote my buyer that their uh, appraisal, or not even appraisal, let's say their, their, their homeowner's insurance is going to be $800 a month, and then they call someone from this internet and they just put a number in there of $300. Okay. So there is a difference between APR fees and non-APR fees for that exact reason. Um, Non-APR fees would include things that are like homeowners insurance, taxes, that somebody could grossly underestimate, but it's not affecting the APR. Um, so know, we we can still look at the APR, or are you saying there's something we need to look at called non-APR fees? No, there's not. you don't even have to look at the non-APR fees because what you owe for taxes is what you owe. What uh-huh. your insurance costs is what your insurance costs. Oh, those fees are not included in the APR. Correct. Okay, They're non-APR okay. fees. So, so we could look at the APR. So what a bank is held to is if they give you a quote with a till, truth in lending document, and basically they're quoting in that the APR fees would include any bank costs, any you know, processing costs, um, appraisal fees are included in that, how much the appraisal would be. Um, also title fees, which is a key one because a lot of times people really, you know, in the, in years past used to really misquote what a title cost would be and then surprise a borrower with the actual mm-hmm. cost. And, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't have any control over right. it. Right. So that's true. You know, you didn't have any control over it, but at this point, the way that, that banks um, produce truth in lending documents, they're held to what they're actually quoting for those costs, which are APR fees. You're one smart cookie. Sometimes. All right. Thank you, Mr. Charlton. Please, no if anyone has any questions, submit them. Submit them through our Facebook. Submit them through podcast at hermanlendon.com. If they have any direct questions for Mr. John Charlton, give him a call. Here's his number. 314-744-7851. And you always smile when I ask this. NMLS number one eight eight nine one zero. There's that smile. All right. Thanks, John, and uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks.
All right. Thank you. All right, guys. Thanks for listening to our podcast again. And uh, this is podcast four. I think it went pretty well. Joey Vasovich is in this studio here on the Herman London Real Estate Group roof. It's getting a little cold out here, Joey. And, um, well, I just want to encourage everyone to go to as many holiday parties as you possibly can. Everyone wants to see you. Everyone would love to have you there. And uh, if anyone has a wood splitter, let me know. I need to borrow a wood splitter. (laughs) Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in a couple weeks. Take care.